So we start with the first chapter. There are 10 chapters in the Megillah. And let's start with chapter one. It was in the days of Achashverosh. Who Achashverosh? He is the Achashverosh who ruled from Hodu until Kush. Hodu is typically translated as India. Hodu as India. And Kush is typically translated as Ethiopia. However, there's a whole bunch of different opinions. The point of this is to say that he ruled over the entire world, the entire um, entire civilization of the time. Sheva ve'esrumemedina, over 127 provinces. Now Rashi comments on this word, who Ahasuerus? He is the Ahasuerus. Why not just say, it was in the days of Ahasuerus who ruled from Hodu until Kush. These two words, he was Ahasuerus, seems extra. Says Rashi, he was Ahasuerus. He was equally wicked from beginning to end. So he was Ahasuerus. Uh, it comes from the Talmud and Tractate Megillah, where, it's, uh, the, where the Talmud points out that this expression, he was X, can mean it can, means that there's a continuity. He was X means he was that person continuously. And it could be used for negative, which as it's done here in this verse, that he was evil. Ahasuerus was evil from beginning to end. Or it could also be used in the positive. If it's talking about a righteous person, it could be saying he was righteous from beginning to end. That's what this phrase, who Ahasuerus, he is Ahasuerus, is telling us. Now, what does it mean that he was equally wicked from beginning to end? And this, we have different interpretations. Um, but according to one interpretation, it means that even at the end, when he supposedly is the nice guy and he is letting the Jews live and he's being nice to Mordechai and he's being nice to Esther, He's still wicked. And this is why at the end, Mordechai stays on. He stays on in his capacity as, um, you know, minister to the king. Why? He's afraid to leave because he knows that Ahasuerosh is a dangerous character. He's not fooled by Ahasuerosh is uh, supposedly turning Mr. Nice Guy. And he wants to stick around. In fact, the Rebbe commented that that is a um, that is the you know we have this idea that the beginning and end of a book of Torah or even a parsha is connected, and so the, the the Rashi Rashi's comment here on the first verse of the Megillah connects with Rashi in the last verse. Let's since we're at Chabad Deror, we could easily jump to chapter ten and see what we get. Show Rashi. Let's see the end. The last verse of the Megillah says, For Mordechai the Jew was viceroy to King Ahasuerus, and great among the Jews, and accepted by most of his brethren, seeking the good of his people, and speaking peace to all their seed. Says Rashi, not all his brethren, for part of the Sanhedrin disassociated from him when he became close to the government and neglected his studies. This is for back to all his people, to all the seed of his people. So we see the connection. Mordechai does something that's controversial because Mordechai was a Torah scholar. He was on the Jewish court, but he gives that up to stay as viceroy to the king. And why does he do that? For that, you got to go back to the first verse of Ra and Rashi's comment on it. 
which we just learned. Oops. And what was that? What did we learn in the first verse of the book of Esther? In Rashi's commentary, we found out that Mordechai, that Achshverosh was evil from beginning to end. And that's why, even when it seemed like the coast was clear, Achshverosh was being a nice guy. No, he stays in his capacity as minister to the king, as vice to the king, in order to protect his people, to be in a place where he could eat more easily, protect his people from this Achshverosh character. Says Rashi, in the days of Ahasuerus, he was the king of Persia who reigned in the place of Cyrus at the end of the 70 years of the Babylonian exile. So the Jewish people, just to give us a picture of Jewish history, they come out of Egypt in 40 years in the desert. They come into the land of Israel and they're there for approximately 400 years before the temple is built. The temple is built and lasts for 400 years. So they're there about 800 years. Exile. The Babylonians come in. They put the Jews in exile. And the exile is supposed to last for 70 years. 70 years. And then the Jews are going to come back. That is the prophecy. <laughs> okay, you got it. Um, and we'll see that this it plays into the story. The 70-year the, the exile plays into the story. Because this big party that Ahasuerus is going to throw, what he's celebrating, what Ahasuerus is celebrating, and this adds to the great guilt to the Jewish people, is Ahasuerus is celebrating what he considers to be the end of the 70 years. It says the 70 years are over. The Jews have not been redeemed. God has given up on the Jews. And here you have the first case, perhaps, of what becomes known as replacement theology which the Christians became known for, that they said, you know, God has replaced the Jew as the chosen people and instead has chosen the Christian. And so they, you know, why don't you come up with your own religion? What do you, why do you mess with ours? What do you want from Jerusalem? Go, you've got the Vatican, you've got Mecca. What do you want from our, our holy, holy city and our Sabbath? At least with the Sabbath, you know, they made it on a different day, the Friday and the Sunday, they left us with Saturday. But we see this already with Ahasuerus, that he donned the clothing of the high priest, which we're just reading about in the Parshas, the eight garments of the high priest, dressed to the eights. And Ahasuerus dons these, and he brings out the, um, the vessels, the, the holy vessels that were, ransacked, that were taken after they ransacked the holy temple, and he puts it out at this party that he throws. And he's like, I'm the Kohen Gadol now. God is done with the Jews. And so it's very relevant that this is all happening towards the end of the 70 years. And of course, Ahasuerus is mistaken in his calculation. He got it, he got it wrong. He, um, he counted things wrong. And the 70 years were not yet up. Okay. Let's see. What do we got here? Let's keep going. In those days when the king Ahasuerus was sitting on the throne of his kingship, which is was in Shushan, the capital. Shushan Habira. Bira is the capital. Rashi tells us when he sat on his throne, meaning when he when the kingdom was firmly established. So it took a few a few a little while for him to establish 
his kingship. And our sages explained it differently. Okay. Um, three, Bishnah in the third year of his kingship, he, he throws a party for all of his princes and all of his servants. The army, Chel, Chel is the army, the army of Persia and Medaya, the Partimim, were the nobles, and the princes of the provinces who were before him. So Rashi tells us that there's a word here that is actually Persian. Hapartimim is a Persian word, and you have a number of Persian words in the Megillah. Not used to that. Usually we read the Torah, we have strictly Hebrew words. Occasionally we have some Aram- had some Aramaic once in a while, but here we have something unique. It's written in Persia, and it has some Persian words. And what does he do at this party? Verse 4, he's showing off his wealth. And we know that Ahasuerus, just to give us a little bit of understanding of what's going on, why is he throwing this party? So I gave you one side of it, but there's another part of it is that Ahasuerus was not, um, he was not descendant of royalty. He was a self-made man. And so he had to kind of prove himself and show people that he's boss. And he does that by showing off his wealth. That's why it also takes him three years till he's actually sitting in his throne comfortably. The splendor of his excellent majesty. Many days, 180 days. It also shows this guy is a party animal. So it's a 180-day party. That's pretty. That's a long for bringing. Verse 5. We should try that. When these days were filled, after 180 days, the king makes a special party just for the people that are found in Shushan Habira in the capital. Ah, the capital, they get special attention, the VIPs. Great to small. This is a seven-day just for Shushanites. And where does this happen? This happens in the courtyard of the garden of the, of the king's orchard. And then it describes in great detail Chur, Karpas, Usacheles. There was spreads of white. That's Chur. Now in the Megillah, this Ches of Chur is, in a, is writ large. It's an extra big letter. And that's a hint to what I mentioned before that the eight Garments of the Kohen Gadol were worn by Ahasuerus. Karpas, this is blue, blue, blue spread. Tchelas, I'm sorry, Karpas is the fine cotton. Tchelas is the is the blue. Embroidered with cords of linen and purple. And this was on silver rods and marble columns, couches of gold and silver on a pavement of green, white shell. And I was telling you the, the great... Um, uh, the, the great party that he put on, it was a feast of the senses from all, from all sides, you know, the, the, what, what there was to eat, what there was to drink, even what the, the, the touch and, and, the, and, the, and the sights, everything was a, was a fully uh, enticing event on all, on all levels, all, from all, all, all sides. Ashkiz Bechlei Zohov, and they gave them to drink in golden vessels, and here's the here's the phrase that hints to us that he had the vessels of the holy temple, the kalim mikalim shainim. Vessels, the literal translation is one different from another, so all different types of vessels. There was plentiful royal wine as befitting the hand of a king. 
Rashi says that the sages expounded what they expounded, that this refers to the vessels of the holy temple. What does it mean that royal wine was plentiful according to the bounty of the king? Rashi says it was abundant, but our, our sages tell us that he gave each one to drink wine that was of a vintage, was, was, was a vintage wine older than the person. So we see there's an emphasis already on wine in this, in this book. However, the drinking was by the law without coercion. Oinus is coercion, no coercion here. Which is which is is the commentaries tell us it was the way of the king in, in, a, in these parties that you had to drink. You couldn't say no, but this party, Achashverosh, made it different. He didn't want to force anybody to drink. That's what the king had established. He had ordained for every steward of his home to do as each person wants. Now, why did Achashverosh do this? Why did he make this different? He wanted to please the people. He was in people-pleasing mode. It was a charm offensive with the people. So he doesn't want to put anybody into a difficult position. Don't force anybody. Don't tell anybody what to do. This is, this is a big theme within the party. Others say that the reason he does this is because he wants the Jews to be guilty. So this is another angle to why he makes the party is that he wants the Jews, that he Medrash says it at length, that he comes to, the, comes to Haman, Haman, he says, or Haman comes to him, I forgot, and he says, let's get the Jews, let's destroy the Jews. And, and Ahasuerus says, that is such a bad idea. I would love to kill the Jews, but anyone who tries ends up in a bad way. So why would I want to repeat the mistakes of my forebearers? And Haman says, I have a brilliant idea for you. Let me tell you how this can be done. You get the Jews to sin. Get the Jews to sin, and they will, God will not protect them. So, great idea. He throws the party, and he's hoping the Jews will sin. And he's right. It works. The Jews do sin at this party. And so, from this angle, you could say that the reason why, and the commentary, some of the commentaries say this, the reason he doesn't want anybody to be forced to do anything is because if the Jews are forced to drink and they're forced to do all this, then they're not really guilty. God's not going to punish them. But if they, if it's a completely freedom of choice themed party, then the Jews are going to be guilty for every sip of wine and every sin that they commit at this house of debauchery. Okay, let me give throw throw in something over here. You know, the Midrash says that the Megillah, in addition to being the story of that happened to our people, is also whenever it talks about the king, it's this whole thing is a metaphor also of God. It's very ironic, and you have to read the introduction to my Megillah commentary written by my colleague Rabbi Eli Block to really appreciate what this means, because Ahasuerus seems to be the opposite of God. He's Mr. Evil, but he also is serving as a metaphor for God. And so the king, what the king, the king can also refer to God. And so what it says to do according to each man's wish, for example, in this verse, is an allusion to the concept of freedom of choice. The way God throws the party of this world is that we have free choice in our moral decisions. Okay, the plot thickens, the introducing the queen, Vashti Hamalko. 
Vashti, the queen, she makes a party for the women. Oh, this was very uh, ultra-Orthodox. The men were separate. The women were separate. And where did she do this? In the royal house of King Ahasuerus. And that was on the seventh day when the king's heart was merry with wine. Rashi tells us on the seventh day, what does that mean? Not the seventh day of the party, but the seventh day, maybe it was the seventh day of the party too, but seventh day means the seventh day of the week. It was Shabbat. means it was Shabbat. And the heart of the king is, is merry with wine. And he says to Mahuman these seven characters, seven of the chamberlains who ministered in the presence of King Ahasuerus. Now, please note, Mehuman sounds very much like Haman. That's one. Secondly, Harvona. We're going to hear about Harvona towards the end of the story. Harvona is the character who advises the king when Haman is having his downfall. Harvona tells the king, you know, Haman has built these gallows that are 50 cubits high. And so Harvona does a good job because the king then says, Great, let Haman be hung on the gallows that he made for Mordechai. And we say in the prayer that we say after reading the Megillah, we say, Gam, the Chavon is also remembered for good. He played a very minor role. He just talking to the king about this, these gallows. But he is mentioned towards the end of the Megillah. So he appears here and he appears over there. The difference is over here he's just spelled with an Aleph. Chavoyna with an Aleph. Later it will be spelled with Chavoyna with a hey. And there's a whole commentary about that. If we get there, we'll get to it. But these are the seven characters. And what does he say to them? He says, bring Vashti the queen. Okay, Vashti the queen. Bring her before the king with her royal crown. And that's it. To show the people and the officers her beauty. For she was very beautiful. Have you ever heard of the poem, Woman of Valor? Who can find the woman of valor greater than pearls is her worth. The second to last verse of the Eishas Chayil. What does it say? It says, Sheker hachein. False is grace. Hevel hayoyfi. Vain is beauty. A woman who fears God, she is to be praised. Says the Medrash that each of the verses of Ashes Chayil, the 22 verses, 21 to the last, refers to a different great woman of history. The first being the wife of Noah. And it goes through history. And this verse, the second to last verse of Ashes Chayil, when it says, false is beauty, false is grace, vain is beauty, that refers to. Vashti, who was very beautiful, but it was an empty beauty because she, on the inside, was corrupt. And Esther is Isha Yiras Hashem is the God-fearing woman who is to be praised. It was interesting. Vashti gets in to the poem Woman of Valor, though she was quite the opposite of the Woman of Valor. So he says, bring the queen to show off her beauty. And the queen Vashti refuses. Now, interesting. Till now, it's been calling her Vashti the queen. And when it says she refused, it says her the queen Vashti. This is all very precise because 
he's talking to her about, you know, you're the queen, you're Vashti. You know, it's just like belittling her. You happen to be the queen because of me, but really you're just Vashti. So you got to come do what I said. But she refuses. She says, I'm not Vashti the queen. I'm the queen Vashti. She was a descendant of royalty. And so she refuses to come by the king's word that came through the chamberlains. According to some commentators, that's why she got angry because it came through the chamberlains. It was, it was a chutzpah. The king gets very angry. And furthermore, his anger boils within him. It's burning within him. Rashi tells us from Tractate Megillah. Why did she refuse to come? Because leprosy broke out on her. And this was caused by God in order that she should refuse and ultimately be killed by Ahasuerus. And what was her great sin? What, what was, why was Vashti deserving of death? The answer is she would force Jewish girls to undress and work on the Sabbath. She was cruel and hated Jews, an anti-Semite. It was decreed that she should be stripped naked on the Sabbath and ultimately to be killed. Some Sefer points out on this that here the Jewish people are sinning at the palace. They're attending the party of Ahasuerus with all of the sins that came along with that. And yet, even at that very party, God is looking out for his people and he's already plotting to have their enemy Vashti to be killed. And of course, we know what happens because of this. Esther becomes the queen and is able to be in the right place in the right time to save her people. Let's pause here for some questions or comments. I, 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 know, I know you thought about this before, but the parallels with the story of Joseph are just... Uh, pretty loud and and interesting so i mean how, what how what, do you mean how do you mean explain well you know i mean just one thing i mean the curious relationship with pharaoh so it's so he begins with this kind of statement that he's inherently evil but you know he's kind of his nature is transformed toward the end of the story right you know uh Hashiris ultimately saves the jews from uh, uh you know from from death you know and also um <clears throat> Esther, Esther is also transformative too. I mean, so they kind of changed the changed the nature of Egypt, much like much, much like Joseph did in his kind of exile to Egypt. Very good. Yeah, I've pointed out in the past. Yes, that the the story of Joseph and the story of of Purim is a lot of parallels. The midrash points this out actually and shows how their various phrases in the story of Yosef that appear in the story of Purim. Particularly, as comes to mind, you know, he talks about, you know, um, Paro giving his, giving power to, to Yosef. And he uses a very similar expression, the way it describes Ahasuerus giving power to Mordechai. Um, the same expression that's used where Yosef refuses the advances of his mistress, uh, of his master's wife, Wow. Uh, but for his wife, it says, you know, day by day, he, he refused her advances. And by Mordechai, it says day by day, he refused to um, to bow to Haman. So there's many parallels in the phraseology. Um, I'm not sure how many, but there's a lot. And yes, it's the same idea. 
uh, as Brad pointed out, but just more generally, you're talking about a Jew who rises to the height of uh, a viceroy of the king. Joseph became viceroy of Paro. Mordechai becomes viceroy of Ahasuerus. And it's the story of the Jew in exile. So Yosef is in exile and he's, he's very successful. And Mordechai and Esther are in exile and also retain their connection to God. Uh, this is a very big point of the story. And um, since we're not up to it yet, but I'll, get, I'll cut to the chase. The, the cut to the chase is that Mordechai and Esther are successful in that they realize that the problem is a spiritual one. It's a spiritual problem. And so the first thing that they do, even before getting to, you know, how are we going to defend ourselves and so forth, the first thing they do is spiritual. And uh, Esther throws this, throws a three-day fast. Ahasuerus threw a seven-day feast. She throws a three-day fast. And, and it, was a, it was a parallel. The Jews had sinned in this way of, of eating at the, at the, the meal of, of Ahasuerus. And now she's saying, let's do that, quite the opposite. Let's fast and repent and return to God. And Mordechai also, you know, he puts on sackcloth and ashes. And it's really the lesson of recognizing that everything is essentially a spiritual issue. We have physical things that we need to do, but the spiritual connection, that's the key. And the physical things that we do are creating the vessel for that spiritual channel that, we, that we're opening up. But never to mistake the physical channel that we're creating as if that was the source. That's really at the heart of, of the story of and that's, of course, Yosef. Yosef is able to see through the external and see through to the essence of things. So thank you, Brad, for, for mentioning that. Anybody else, question and or comment? Going once. Going twice. Sold. <laughs> Rabbi. All right, friends. Well, uh, that was a great start to the Megillah. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. And uh, this Thursday night, I will not be on. I will be in transit, uh, heading away for Shabbat. Uh, 